This is Genesis 5, and it's kind of a long passage, and so I'm going to ask you to remain seated a lot of times, and I like when we stand to hear the Word of God, but if you will, just, just sort of relax. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, and, and uh, this is a fascinating chapter in God's Word as we've come 1, 2, 3, 4, and today Genesis 5. So hear the Word of God. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and named them man in the day when they had created, when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. Then the days of Adam, after he became the father of Seth, were 800 years And he had other sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Seth lived 105 years and became the father of Enosh. Then Seth lived 807 years after he became the father of Enosh, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enosh lived 90 years and became the father of Kenan. Then Enosh lived 815 years after he became the father of Kenan, and he had other sons and daughters, so that all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Kenan lived 70 years and became the father of Mahalalel. Then Kenan lived 840 years after he became the father of Mahalalel, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. Mahalalel lived 65 years and became the father of Jared. Then Mahalalel lived 830 years after he became the father of Jared, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalalel were 890 years, and he died. Excuse me, 895 years, and he died. Jared lived 162 years and became the father of Enoch. Then Jared lived 800 years after he became the father of Enoch. And he had other sons and daughters, so all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Methuselah lived 187 years and became the father of Lamech. Then Methuselah lived 782 years after he had become the father of Lamech, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Lamech lived what? <clears throat> excuse me, 182 years and became the father of a son. Now he called his son Noah saying, This one will give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. Then Lamech lived 595 years after he became the father of Noah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. Noah was 500 years old, and Noah became the father of Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. Will you pray with me? Lord, you know all things. You know our hearts and you know our minds. Lord, you know my heart. 
In my heart, Lord, is that nothing but your word now be spoken, that nothing but your word be heard. My heart is, Lord, that even one person would draw closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as Rodney said, Genesis 5 presents challenges from a preaching perspective. Thanks a lot, boss. In fact, he said, you might want to read that chapter before you agree to preach it. And I said, man, if it's in the Bible, I can preach it. Let me have it. But I think part of the reason that it presents a challenge is is because it comes after 1, 2, 3, and 4. Think about the narratives that we've heard. The creation of everything. You see, and then the details of the creation of man and woman, Adam and Eve, and, and the drama of that when, when God brought Eve to Adam and Adam said this great Hebrew word, wow. <laughs> and then the fall of man as the, as the serpent was the craftiest of the garden. And he came and fooled Eve and then Adam sinned and there came sin into the world and, and just broke it all apart. And then last week we heard how murder entered into the world by our human anger. And so you got all these great narratives and then you get to chapter 5 and sort of put on the brakes and say, what is that doing there? Well, if you read uh, the narratives that we've come to, chapter 5 is more like a diagram. It's a genealogy, if you will. Genealogies have become very popular in our culture. In fact, according to Time Magazine, it's the second most popular outside of sports and things like that. It's the second most popular pastime only to gardening. That was a surprise. Some of you may have looked up your genealogy. Has anybody done that? It's a fascinating study. Now, you wouldn't know this except that I would tell you, but my wife has looked up her genealogy and a genealogy is literally it's a family tree that's why today's called family tree and so when we were dating and and falling in love and all of that and I didn't do it because of this because she never mentions it she's never proud of it I'm almost embarrassed to tell you but Wendy's family this is true has quite a, a history she has ancestors on both sides of her family that go back to the daughters of the American uh revolution even farther back to the to the the uh, her ancestors were in the American colonist. Her family back in the day had original land grants grants of land from the King of England. Wow, do we still have any of that land? <laughs> Somebody on the family tree messed up, you know. And so she wouldn't know that to tell you. And so, so I, I heard all that. And I, I, and I met this, this morning, as God does, I met a woman coming in. I, we were talking and she said that she is related to the first governor of Texas. I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. And it's kind of an affirmation of what we're going to say today. So I took everything that Wendy taught me about her family and I went to my pawpaw. Some of y'all remember dad's dad. And I said, pawpaw. He said, what? I said, Wendy's family. He said, what? And I told him, he said, what about it? And I said, what about our family? And he looked right at me and said, you don't want to know. (laughs) I didn't, that's true, it's an absolute true story. And I didn't want to know after that, I thought, well, we'll leave well enough alone, you know. 
But there is so much that God wants us to know in Genesis chapter 5. I mean, you say it's in the Bible, okay, it's important. But the question is, why is it important? What is here that tells us so much about God and about ourselves? The first thing that we see is that we are connected to God. In God's created order, if you do it in reverse, if you do the names from Noah back to Seth, back to Adam... Who created Adam? God did. You see the lineage? We are directly connected to God. First screen there from Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image according to our likeness. Who was he talking to? Himself. He wasn't talking to the angels. He was talking to himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you see? So we were made in the likeness of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So he created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Fellas, ladies, we are directly connected to God Almighty. That's awesome by itself, but think about what that also means. It means that we're not connected to certain things that the world tells us that we're connected to. We're not connected to monkeys. We're not. My question for the monkey people has always been, if we came from monkeys, why we still got monkeys? You know? And, and I'm not being ugly and I'm not trying to, 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 to be funny. It's just, it's, these things are easily ex, ex, uh, explainable. We are not connected to the idols of ancients or moderns. We are not connected to the things that we own, the things that we make, the things that we see, all those things that are sorry substitute for our connection to God. We're also not connected to some impersonal religious experience. Buddhism, and when I talk about false religions, I'm not talking about people. Jesus died for Buddhists and New Agers and everybody. But I can stand here all day and talk about non-biblical ideologies. Buddhism says there's nothing. Nothing is real. Stick a fork in your thigh and tell me if it's real. <laughs> it's real. The New Agers, is, which is just repackaged Hinduism, says that at a certain time when we die, we become another thing. If you're a good person, Rodney, if you're a good preacher, who knows what you'll be in the next life. If you're a bad preacher, you may be a bug. Well, where's the hope in that? We remain who we are because we are connected straight to Almighty God. And I'll tell you one we hear often today is that people talk about the universe. They say, oh, I put things out to the universe. Here's an experiment. All seriousness. You take a golf ball and you go on the moon and you toss that golf ball into the universe and see if it comes back to you. Didn't the astronauts do that? Didn't they hit a golf ball off the moon? That thing's still going. Because the universe keeps going. We're not related or connected to anything impersonal like that. We are connected to Almighty God. Now let me tell you something. The world hates that. And let me tell you why. Because if we are connected to God as our creator, then we are accountable to God. And we are accountable to God because God made us and he loves us and he knows what's best for us. But the world says, I don't want any accountability, young people. The world's telling you, you do you. I was in uh, Cracker Barrel the other night. Wendy and I were having dinner and you know how they sell stuff in the other part. And I was looking at a, at a, at a 
coffee mug and it said, I have this thing that I do called what I want. And I thought, well, you know, that's never worked out for me. Has it ever worked out for you? We are not connected to all these things and the world, the world hates it because there is accountability in God. There is accountability in God because we are connected to Him. But we're not only connected to God, we are connected to one another. You see, a family tree has branches on it. And the family tree is connected at the trunk. You get it? And so we're connected to one another. Watch what 1 John chapter 3 says. And, it, and it, think how this starts. It doesn't start, we would be called children of God. It says, see how great a love the Father has given us that we would be called children of God. And in fact, we are. Now that's talking about those who are in Christ, not the whole world. We're given the right to become children of God in Christ. And in fact, we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. So we're created, connected to God and connected to one another. And isn't that a wonderful thing? Isn't that a wonderful thing? Because I don't know how people get by without a church family. Look around. Look around. I mean, seriously, look around at at some of the folks around you. Please, turn around and look at one another and say, Hey, brother. Hey, sister. Now, let me tell you something. If any of your brothers and sisters that you just said hey to, and that's not a preacher's trick, I want you to see one another because we are the family of God. And we, we, should, not, uh, we should contemplate that. We should think about that. Because sometimes we don't get it. But this is a place where love and support and unity come. This past Friday night, Pastor Kyle and his wife Deanna did this wonderful thing as a parent's night out. And he came to me and he said, man, so many of the parents have come and said, we haven't been out in over a year. And Wendy and I were helping out. She did the babies, easy, and I was doing the running around kids. <laughs> and so we had two sets of kids. We had the older kids and the younger kids. And so uh, Matt and I had the younger kids first, and we did their games. I taught them some songs about Father Abraham and singing in the rain. And then we had a game with them. We sent them on, and then the older kids came in. And then the older kids, we did our thing, and they were sitting having snacks. And I had this, uh, this brainstorm, or, or maybe it's a, uh, a snowstorm, I don't know. And I said, to the, I said to the older kids sitting there, I said, when the younger children come back in for the closing you know, time together, when the younger ones walk in, and they were about 20 of them, and it was about, I don't know, 12 or 13 of, of the, 11 or 12 of the, young, of the older ones. So anyway, I said, when the children come in, the younger ones come in, I want all of you older guys to clap and go, yay, yay. It freaked them out. <laughs> they came in. I'm serious. I was doing this on purpose because they came in. The younger ones came in. The older ones just spontaneously did it. I'm sure some of the helpers that, that, that Kyle had said, hey, let's applaud. And the younger children came in going, what did we do? What did we do? And I made the point because I thought I'll do this Sunday. The point is that we're all God's children. It doesn't matter if we're in kindergarten, third grade, fifth grade, 11th grade. We got young people out there right now that's cooking hot dogs for us to eat and for us to support them. All right? We have young people right here that they ought to be able to count on us when the world goes away. The love and support that we have for one another. And let me tell you something. The enemy hates that. 
Because what's the enemy prowling around like? A roaring? How many of you studied Daniel in the lion's den today? You see? And the lion normally, in any, any, any animal of prey, he's going to wait and try to find the one that's isolated. The one that is vulnerable. Young people, do not isolate yourselves in your own little worlds. It's easy to do. Be involved with other people. And I know the kids at school can be mean. I know that the people around you can just give you a hard time. But right here, you're not going to get a hard time. You're going to get a hard time. We're going to love you and nurture you and, and do all these things. Amen? Because there's just as there's a God who loves us, there's an enemy who hates us and wants to destroy us. And they don't like it. We're connected to God and we're connected to one another. But we're also blessed. We have been blessed to fill the earth. In Genesis 5, did you notice on every single one, beside the, the, the ones that are mentioned, it says they all had other sons and daughters. Did you notice that? They all had other sons and daughters. And what we're seeing here is God working out His purpose and His plan to fill the earth. And so each one of them was involved in the blessing of filling the earth in obedience to God's command. Put up Genesis 1.28 and we remember this. We studied it the first week. God blessed them. And then God said to them, read it with me. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And subdue it, every living thing that moves on the earth. So the first thing he said was, be fruitful. That's procreation. That is the number one priority of the sexual relationship between a man and a woman, a wife and a husband, is procreation. To, 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 have, to have more children. And we've got some wonderful families. I came from a family of four you know, we got this lovely family, and I asked permission to mention the Seaboats have five children. And man, the more Seaboats, the better to me. Isn't that right? Where are they at? And you know what? They got, they got so many kids, they have, to take a, they have to have a parade permit everywhere they go. I think it's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Because God said, be fruitful. And then do what? What was the second one? Multiply. Go and go. And God had done that even in the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. He gave them the right. He gave them the ability. He gave them. He, so he's given us what he's already given to the animals and even to the plants. That's why we talk about the birds and the bees. You see? Because God wants us to fill this earth. He didn't make the earth for it to be empty. That's how all the other planets are. This one is special. For God so loved the world this world. And so we fill it out to be fruitful and to multiply. This is a command of God. Has God ever commanded you to do something? There's a lot of them here. But this is a direct command of God to them and to us now to fill the earth. Now when God commands something, He doesn't just leave us on our own. That would be awful. be like a, a, a boss giving you a job and, and no resources. Somebody, you've got to go build a house and you've got no hammer and nails, you see? And so God provided for them. He provided them the ability. Did you see how old some of those guys were when they were having children? Now, that's, that's an anathema to us today. We go, wow, you know? You remember even Abraham and Sarah. They were, they were like 90, something like that. And Sarah laughed when she found out she was going to have a child because it was, it was funny. And the angel said, why'd you laugh? She said, I didn't laugh. He said, yes, you did. 
I love that place in the Bible. God don't play. You did laugh because it was just unheard of. You see? And so God opens the womb. God gives us stability. And, and the other thing is the time. Did you see all the years that they lived? Who was the oldest one? Methuselah was 900 and what? 969. Man, I would not have wanted to be in a senior adult pastor back then. <laughs> Holy smokes. He'd be, like, he'd be like, no, Lamech, you're only 700. You don't, you don't qualify. <laughs> Man. And so God has given, God gave them the ability and he gave them the time in order to fulfill his command because God loves people. I loved it when Rodney said the other week, God, and let me make something really clear. If anybody ever tells you God needs something, no, God is the one being in the entire universe that doesn't need anything. That's us. And so if God doesn't need anything, nothing God does is motivated out of need. So that everything God does is motivated out of love. That's why we can always trust God because he doesn't need anything. And Rodney said God desired to share himself with us. And the more the merrier. How many grandkids you got, boss? Eleven grandchildren. Praise God. I'm waiting on my first. (laughs) It's okay. That's all right. We're not pressuring Haley. She knows what she's doing. So God, (laughs) if you're watching, honey, it's all right. God knows what he's doing and God loves us. And that's why he made people because he wanted to share himself with us. Let me tell you something. What I discovered more than anything about a preaching methodology in my doctoral studies, what I discovered more than anything is how much God loves us and he wants to reveal himself to us so that we can have a relationship with him. So that we can have a loving relationship with him and with others. So we're connected to God. We're connected to each other. God has given us this command. And as we live out that command, it makes us valuable to God. You notice the names. And this isn't value according to the world. This isn't self-esteem and the way the world tells you, oh, you do you and all that kind of stuff. This is esteem. This is value because God made us. God commanded us to do something. And we, when we live in obedience to God, it makes us valuable to God. Do you see the specific names that are in there? Seth and Enosh and Kenan. My favorite, Mahalalel. Say that with me. Mahalalel. And it just sings. No, we got to write a song called Mahalalel, Love God. And you know what the name Mahalalel means? It means shining one of God. Isn't that awesome? And God, we're no less important to God than Mahalalel was. We are no less important because we have specific value. Look what Luke uh, chapter 12 says. But even the hairs of your head are all counted. Don't fear. Do you know how much we do out of fear? And I'm preaching to John Bolin right now. How much we do out of fear? You're more valuable than a great number of sparrows. You see, humanity is the height of creation. Some would argue that the woman, God saved the best for last maybe, I don't know. But together, God made us male and female as the height of creation because we are valuable to him. We are so valuable to him. You'll learn more how in just a minute. But I got to tell you that on every family tree, there are some fruits and nuts. It's true. 
is true. You look at the genealogy of Jesus. There's some people on there that you go, how'd they get on there? (laughs) Seriously, think about it. You see, because our God is a redemptive God. When God looked at old Peter, he didn't didn't see the Peter that talked before he thought. He saw the Peter that was going to be Peter the rock, once Jesus got a hold of him in the Holy Spirit. When God looks at us, he, he doesn't just see us. He sees us with him, and he works through that. Now, God is not always happy with everything that we do. That's, that's true. And yet, God. some people say, God loves me just the way I am. He may, but he loves you more, and he loves me more than to just leave us that way. He's constantly creating us into the image that that he always had for us that was messed up in the garden and now that God is redeeming. So we are still valuable to God individually and also collectively. We have a collective purpose. One of the things about a family tree is that people see their connections. They see who they were related to. They see where they came from. And a lot of times when you see where you came from, it helps you know what? Where you're going. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Or sometimes you can look at a family tree and go, okay, I'm on a branch that I'm not really proud of. I, 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 want, to, I want the rest of my branch to be something that belongs to God. I want the rest of my branch. I want to be involved in a purpose. That's what people are looking for today. Pastor... Uh, Zach and I, who's, who's with the young people right now, we had a wonderful conversation about the interesting things that are the same between uh, young people and senior adults. Young people are looking for relevance. That means who am I? Who loves me? Where do I belong? What is it that God wants for me in this world? And senior adults on the other end of the spectrum, they're hoping to maintain relevance Because things are being changed and changed and ripped from their hands. The whole world's flying by at a dizzying pace. And we're holding on to our relevance. Well, let me tell you something. Whether you're young or old or in between, you are relevant to God. And not only individually, but for a purpose. Think about this. Put up the passage from the Old Testament, Genesis 26. The first purpose of God in this, in Genesis 5, is to fill the earth now we have a promise made to Abraham. Or Abram, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and will give your descendants all these lands. And by your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So the children of Israel, they had a purpose. And that was to uh, live for God so that God could bring forth the Messiah through their Hebrew nation. And they did that. And, and God had to help them because they were over here and messing up and God brought them back. And they were over here messing up and God brought them back. And finally the Messiah of the world came into the world from the line of Adam, from the line of Abraham, from the line of David, all the way to us, uh, all the way to this world. And now in the New Testament, the whole New Testament is a fulfillment of the Old Testament to say God was going to bring a Messiah. Now here he is. Our job is to take him forward into a world. The Great Commission. Go into all the world. Go. Preach. Teach. Make what? Disciples. 
that's, that's why we focus on discipleship, because Jesus said so. Because we have a collective purpose, just like Adam and Seth and Enoch and Mahalalel and all the rest of them. And, and, and so did, just like Abraham had, just like David had, we have a purpose to take the good news of Christ and go into the world. But there's a problem. When Rodney had this originally listed in the preaching schedule, the title of this message this, this day was Death. Did you see what it says over and over and over, except for one, Enoch? The three words, and he, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. Let me straighten out Enoch for you real quick. God was showing everybody that God has control over life and death. It wasn't just a reward for old Enoch who walked with God, who was friends with God, and all those things. That was a wonderful reward for Enoch. But what God was doing right there was saying, hey, even in the early ages, even in the days of the ancients, God was in control of life and death. But we have that problem called death. Y'all remember Dr. Joe and what he used to say about death and the statistics on death? He said they are 100%. And, 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 and unless the Lord comes back, unless the Lord comes back before we're called home to him, every one of us is going to die. I see that every week. And it's okay. In fact, I've asked God, let this always bother me. Let me always be attentive to the pain of those who are left behind. But at the same time, it thrills me. You see, there is a problem. Put up Hebrews 9.27. And just as it is destined for people to die once, and after this comes judgment. For, let, me, let me remind you, that, that washes away any thoughts of reincarnation. It is appointed unto men once to die. We only die once. All right, And yet we're destined for that. That's what's going to happen. It, it, for every one of us, unless the Lord intervenes, our brains are going to stop working, our lungs are going to stop breathing, our hearts are going to stop beating. And, and, there, and that will happen to us. You see, Romans 7 has a passage for us that I'm going to read in a moment. But the world, they get death out of whack. The Stoics act like this. Well, death is just a part of life. And it is. We understand that. But that's where they leave it. Death. Uh, the Epicureans. Remember those guys? Eat, drink, and be. For tomorrow you. That's very prevalent in our culture today. To just party on, Garth. All right? Because, because it's coming. The moderns. The moderns, they don't know what to do with death. We have this slogan that life stinks and then you die. We say there's two things that are, that are for sure, taxes and death. We don't know what to do with it. We don't know what to do with it. The biblical writers didn't know what to do with it. In Romans chapter 7, Paul, and if you read that, please sometimes read Romans 1 through at least 7. Keep going. Read it as a, as, as a sweep because you'll see Paul or the writer of Romans, whoever it is, and, and, and God knows that, I think it's Paul, but whoever the writer of the Romans was, the book of Romans, he gets to this place in chapter 7 where he's gone all through the meaning of life and then he says, but wait a minute, who's going to rescue me? From this body of sin and death. How am I going to get out of this alive? 
And then right after that, this comes the solution. Comes the solution. Put up Hebrews 9.28. So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who what? It's Christ who's the solution. You know that. But have you thought about it in terms of Genesis 5, that how we are connected to God, how we are connected to one another, how we have a purpose to bring Christ to the world, and how we don't have to worry about our death because Jesus is our salvation. You know what your family tree looks like? That right there. That's your family tree. That beautiful, ugly, majestic, horrible, Bloodstained cross. Jesus and the cross is our foundation. It's, it's, our, it's our family tree. We, and we belong on it. And there's a place for you on it. Are you on God's family tree? You can't climb up in that tree. But God will lift you up by the power of his mercy. And when God lifts you up and sets you on his branch of his family tree, everything changes. You may not feel it right away, but everything changes. Everything that we thought was important automatically changes because now we have been brought into the family of God. Put up the the very last verse of Galatians 6. Watch this. But far be it from me to boast. There's a lot of things we can boast about. Look at this big old church. Mm -mm. There's a lot of things we can boast about. Ah, boy, I was so bad. You ever heard people talk about how bad they were and how good they got? Man, we don't boast about anything except the what? The cross. Say it again. The what? The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Because when you come up in God's family tree, when you, when you appropriated into God's family and on his tree through the cross of Calvary that was planted in Calvary and it flourishes even today and that will grow and grow and grow, your whole world changes. Your whole life changes. Your whole perspective changes. So the only question is, are you in the family? Are you in God's family tree? There are people here today who are. And in their hearts, and I want you to say, Hallelujah, I am. You don't have to say it out loud. But in your hearts, Hallelujah, I am. But there are people today who aren't. And those are the ones that we're talking to today. It's a reassurance, but it's also an invitation. And so in a moment as we pray, I want you to pray. I want you to thank God if you're in God's family tree because he's the one who put you there. And if you're not in God's family tree, pray, God, I want to be in that tree. I want to come to you through Christ alone to build my life and everything that, that that I know is true now. And I want the others of you who are in the tree to be praying for those who are not that they might be brought into the family of God. Because there's a place for everybody. On the family tree of God. Let's pray right now. Just as we said. Lord I want to thank you. And give you all glory. For everything Lord. For everything that you have done for us. God when I survey the wondrous cross. I, I just can't take it in. But I'm not supposed to fathom. I'm supposed to just have faith. God if there's anybody this morning. Any even one. I don't care how young or old they might be. 
Lord, if there's anybody who's struggling with their faith in you, God, come and tell them everything this fellow's told you this morning is true by the word, by the blood, by the cross, in the empty tomb. Lord, I pray that you would reach down. That you would reach down and lift us up. Lord, we love you. And we love each other. And Jesus, we love you most of all because you first loved us. Jesus, thank you for the family tree. For it is in your name that we pray.